This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. Today we celebrate the Ascension. Before we start, I wanted to, um, to thank, this is Memorial Day weekend, to thank all here, we have several veterans, to thank you for your service. Now with the Ascension, yes. Now, with goodbyes can be ambiguous, can't they? I mean, what's the feel you have for goodbye? It really depends, doesn't it? You're taking a friend to the airport, okay? And one situation might be, this is a friend you've met with for years, every weekend, done things together, part of your life, and they've taken a job on another part of the country. You might see them again, but it'll never be the same. It'll be once or twice a year. It won't be the same anymore. That'd be really sad. On the other hand, uh, you might be taking someone to the airport. They're going on a big vacation they've been dreaming of going on, right? Or they're going off to get married. You say, this is happy. We're happy to share their good news. So a, uh, so a goodbye can either be very sad or it can be very happy. We don't know. Think about office goodbyes. You have a part of the office, somebody's going. We certainly have had this experience where some people you say, oh, gee, I don't know what we're going to do without her. I mean, she's the best person on the team. We're all going to have to work a lot harder. It's going to really find so hard someone to replace someone like this. Okay. But then there are other goodbye parties like, finally, <laughs> free at last, free at last. I mean, you're saying, I already feel a burden lifting. So again, whether a goodbye is good news or bad news really depends. So take today, how should we take the ultimate goodbye? The Lord Jesus is saying goodbye, and he's not coming back again in the flesh until the last judgment. This is it of seeing him in the flesh. What about his closest disciples? The apostles have just spent day and night for the last three years of their life with him. So a good key, how should we take, is this good news or bad news, Jesus going away? How do they react? Now, we might say, well, I try to imagine, but we don't have to imagine. The Scriptures tell us. Look in our Gospel today. It says that they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem. How? With great joy. Their friend, their teacher, their Lord is leaving them, never to see him again in the flesh, in this life, and they feel joy. Now, I've got to know, what do they know I don't know? Why are they feeling joy? There's got to be a good reason. And what we find out is actually there are three sources of joy that we'll talk about in the Ascension. The first is it marks, it's like a graduation, it marks the, com the successful completion of Jesus' earthly ministry, the successful completion of his ministry. The second thing is it's the beginning of Jesus' new ministry. He will continue to minister among us differently. So it's the beginning of a whole new way that Christ is present with us and acts among us. And third, incredibly, we'll be closer to him than we ever were before. Those are good reasons. We'll talk about each of those. But after we look at those reasons, what do those reasons tell us about our own Christian life? How does knowing these things, how does that help us really to live a much more effective, abundant Christian life? 
Well, that's the story of the Ascension. So let's start with how is this a completion? We're celebrating the completion. Well, remember John's Gospel, Jesus is constantly saying, he's saying, you have to believe I'm the one who has been sent by the Father. I've been sent. I'm on a mission. It's central. So Jesus is here for a purpose. Now, John is the one we always check out. What could that be? Because John tells us what's behind the Gospels. He tells us what the mission is. And it's like this. It's sort of like a giant letter U, like a parabola. Christ starts with the Father. The eternal Word of God is with the Father from the very beginning. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. But what happens? He comes from heaven. He becomes he did to dwell among us, and he becomes incarnate. He actually takes on our humanity. While he remains the eternal Word of God, he also becomes an actual human being, Jesus of Nazareth. He's both true God and true man. And he lives. He's, the Word became flesh, and he dwelt among us. And he teaches us. You know, we live with him, and he dies for us, and he's resurrected. But there's one more part of the story. I said it's the letter U. We went from the top. The eternal Word is with the Father. He comes. The Word became flesh. He dwells with him. He lives and dies among us. And then he returns to the Father. So he starts with the Father. He comes to us. And then he returns to the Father. That completes the ministry. That completes his mission. Okay, so... What's the good news about that for us? Well, the first thing is that our, what happened in original sin, what happened to all of us, is we were created, every one of us, in the image and likeness of God. That's amazing. The image and likeness of God himself. Well, what happened with sin? With sin, we lost the likeness, it's gone, and the image has been tarnished. You know, the image is not what it used to be. It's there, but it's, it's been tarnished. It doesn't look like that anymore. Imagine if everything could be more than restored. And that's what happened. You see, Jesus came from heaven alone. The Word of God, I should not Jesus, the Word of God came alone. But when he goes back to heaven, it's no longer just the Word of God. It's the Word of God who has assumed our humanity. Truly God, so he comes down, only God. He goes back, God and man. What does this mean? A human being like us, a true human being, sits at the right hand of God. Talk about local boy makes good. I mean, this is really the, 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 <laughs> the story, okay, that, you know, we have now, this is, this is, the, this is the, the triumph of all of humanity. Matter of fact, something really happened profoundly in theology. Man was created less than the angels. But once Jesus took on humanity, that actually changes. We actually are now raised, because Jesus is a human, above the angels. Indeed, some medieval theologians argued that this was the cause of the fall of the angels, that Satan was so upset about being passed over for the promotion. You get the rest. You bet. <laughs> he said, them? <laughs> what about me? I've always been. But you get the idea. So basically, our humanity has been, our dignity has been completely restored. It's higher than ever. We are more than ever, you know, perfected in the image and likeness of God. That's something to celebrate. Something else that's really important, oh, by the way, that's why in Orthodox icons, 
You know, when we see the resurrection Jesus, he's wearing gold or white. But somehow he's in heaven, suddenly it changes. In heaven, he's always wearing blue over red. That means his divinity covers his humanity. He's both God and man. Humanity sits, talk about a triumph, humanity sits at the right hand of God. Someone like us. Now, the second thing that we have here is, gee, why does Jesus go? He tells us at the Last Supper, he said, look, you know, how come you guys are all getting upset? He said, why don't you ask me where I'm going? That makes the difference. Where am I going? He said, I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. He later says, he says, and I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Jesus isn't separating, he's bringing us with him. He's not only going up God and man, he's taken us with. He came down for the purpose of taking us with him as he goes back to the Father. He says, I want it where I am, you will be also. That's what he wants for us. So that's why I love that, that, that um, image that I have, that little icon that's in your bulletin, because it actually has a road. So instead of seeing Jesus being separated, he actually has created a road to heaven for us. We're going to follow him. He's the pioneer of our faith, as it says in Hebrews. I love that. And what does that mean? Here's how we should look at the ascension. Is I spent a lot of time in airplanes as a road warrior for 30 years. And I got to tell you one thing. I was always, I, I was in the back of the plane, typically. And in the back of the plane, if you're in the window seat, is you're, you're, nothing's happening for a while, right? You have to wait for the gate and come up. But what's the thing you really look for is suddenly see the people from first class going out. Because even though you're not budging at the back of the plane, where they're going, we're going. You know, you can see your path ahead. There's no question about it. Once that line moves, it's only a matter of time. And that's what happens with the ascension. Jesus is taking where I'm I'm taking you all with. I'm going to prepare a place, but you're all coming. That changes the tone entirely. It's not a goodbye. It's, he's like an advanced part. I'm going out here, but you're all coming with. Now, why is this a place we want to be? Well, Jesus says, he prays to the Father. He says, I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with me where I am and see my glory. Now, the word beatific means, it's a Latin word, we talk about the beatific vision, it means, it's simply Latin, everything sounds better in Latin, right? It simply means the thing that'll really make you happy. And I mean, this happiness, not like having a big smile, it means like it'll really fulfill you to make you everything you ever wanted to be. And we're told that seeing God will do that. You know, John says when we see God, we'll be happy, we'll be actually transformed into his image. And so what happens, Jesus is saying that when you go, like we, Father Brett will pray in, the, in our Eucharistic prayer today, and we'll see our Lord face to face. So this is the promise that not only are we going to some place, but everything we ever dreamed of, everything we could ever be will be completely fulfilled when we see Jesus face to face. So this is a good success story. That's one reason to celebrate the ascension. He created a path for us. But there's a second reason. Jesus has not ended his ministry any more than when you graduate from college. That's starting your career, not at the end, it's the beginning. I'll give you an example from my personal life. On July 15th, 1987, I finished my, my job in Nashville, Tennessee. My wife and I are, were from Nashville. In Nashville, Tennessee, we're living there. She's a native. And I, at 4.30 in the afternoon, the close of business hours, I said goodbye to my colleagues and walked out the door. 
I went to the airport, got on a plane, and I got out that evening, and the next morning at 8.30 at the opening of the office, I was at my new job. Talk about a seamless interface. You know, the night before I'm in one job, the next day I'm in the new job. That's what's going to happen with Jesus. Jesus doesn't take time off between jobs. Okay, basically, he's changing the nature of his ministry, but he will very much be with us and ministering with us. Okay. I love this. In the first, in Acts of the Apostles, the first two verses are amazing. Look carefully at what Luke says. This is the whole theme of Acts of the Apostles. He says this. In the first book, he wrote the Gospel of Luke. Luke wrote the two books. He wrote the Gospel of Luke, and then he wrote like part two, like Bride of Gospel of Luke, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, he, he writes his second part. The sequel is, is Acts of the Apostles. He says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until he was taken up. Began to do and teach? Isn't it all over when he's taken up to heaven? He said, no, that's just the beginning. I told you of all the things he began to do and teach when he was with us in his earthly ministry. That's not the end of his ministry. It's the end of his earthly ministry. Just like if you've just been studying in medical school, when you graduate, it doesn't mean that's the end of medicine for you. It's the beginning. You're not going to practice as a doctor. <laughs> you know, you're going to practice differently. You're not leaving medicine. Okay, so what we have here is, uh, so that's the theme of Acts of the Apostles. Remember Matthew's Gospel, Jesus said, I'm always with you to the end of the age. So Jesus is a living and active presence with us. Now, he's, he's just as alive and well working with us teaching us and doing great things as he ever was. Now, we have that. That's why we have the selection from Ephesians today. You know, it says Christ has been seated at the right hand of the Father. Then what does it tell us? It says, he's put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, we might think that the church is a poor substitute for, you know, like being with Jesus and the apostles. He says, no, you don't get it. The church is the fullness of Jesus. He says, the fullness of him who fills all in all. His full spirit is at act. So this is not a second best. You know, Jesus fills is alive and well, living and active, dwelling among us and acting among us. And this is why Luke does something really beautiful at the beginning of Acts of the Apostles. Uh, because he actually ties the ascension. He gives a long description this design us to remind us of an Old Testament story that tells us how to understand the ascension. Now, let's think about it for a minute. Do we know anybody else who just went up to heaven? That's not really a big biblical category. Well, there's Elijah, right? Some of you might say, what about Enoch? We're just simply told that, uh, you know, he, God took him away. We don't know how he did. Nothing dramatic. But, you know, when, with, with Elijah, we know for a fact that he ascends with a chariot into heaven. So we're going to actually tell the story of Jesus in Acts of the Apostles, chapter 1, his ascension, with a direct reference to that story. So let's go back to that story, and we'll see what, because it's telling us the moral of that story is the moral of this story. So let's go back to Elijah. Elijah was the greatest of the prophets. That's why at the day of the transfiguration, when we have Moses represents the law, Elijah represents the prophets. Okay, so we have Moses and Elijah. Elijah's going down one day, and he sees a guy at work. He's a farmer named Elisha. He's busy plowing. He's a farmer. He's doing what, he, what farmers do, work real hard. And so what happened was he took his, his, his cloak, 
And the symbol of a cloak is it's something that covers you, like the Spirit of God. We always talk about the Spirit of God in the Bible as covering something. It covers someone. You know, it covers Mary and she conceives. You know, it covers someone. He takes his cloak, the Holy Spirit given to him, and he throws it, just simply throws it on Elijah. What's that? And he realized he's been called to share in Elijah's ministry. And he follows him. Okay? And then we go, Elijah does all these amazing things during his ministry. It's an amazing story in 1 Kings. But then what happens? The time comes where Elijah is told it's time to go. I'm going to, he's going to take, God is going to take him up directly to heaven. So what happens? They're going, and all these prophets, Elijah, the prophet, plus Elisha, his disciple, are going around, and every time they run into a group of prophets, they're saying, do you know that he's going to be taken up? And yeah, yeah, we know, we know. So guess what? He comes to the Jordan River, and this is amazing. He's telling us something of the power of Elijah. That mantle symbolizes his covering, you know, his, his, his call from God, the Holy Spirit. He takes that mantle because they hit the Jordan River. And what does he do? He goes down with the mantle, and he actually splits the river open, just like Joshua did to get into the Holy Land just like Moses did at the Red Sea. He splits the, the, the river open. He goes, this is a miracle. And Elisha's amazed. And Elijah said, okay, it's time to go. And Elisha, you know, sometimes when people tell us it's time to go, you say, yeah, hey, uh, Mom, I, we're going to really miss you, but, you know, there's that one thing I really like that you had. Could I have, <laughs> you know, people want, ask something when people are on the way out. And so Elijah says, you know, what I really love is a double portion of your spirit. Now, we might not understand why that's so important, it's not like he has twice as much spirit. That's not what double portion means. In, in the world of Israel, in the ancient world, any system that has what they call primogeniture, where the oldest son is the winner, is he gets the family business. He's the one with continuity. He keeps it all going on from generation to generation without a break. Everybody else gets a consolation prize. They also ran, my other sons, yes. But here's the one who counts. This is the one who's going to run the business after me, who's going to keep this unbroken line. Elijah and sons, that kind of this unbroken line. So he says, I, that's what I want. And he said, well, I can't give you that, but he said, I'll tell you this. I have from the Lord that if you actually see me go up into heaven, that means God's answered your prayer. You're the one. You are the one who will truly be the continuation of the business. You know, you'll be the, you'll be the full continuation. The other prophets, they're great. You know, they have their consolation private. You're the thing. You're the one who's going to run the family business. He goes up to heaven, and guess what happens? He sees him. That means he has it. But still, how do we know that? Two things happen. The first thing is as he's about to walk away, I guess something hits him. A cloak falls down as Elijah goes up to heaven. His cloak falls down and covers him. You know, the spirit of Elijah covers him. And guess what he does then? He takes his cloak, and to really put it out to the test, he goes back to the Jordan River and says, well, the God of Elijah, and it opens again. The full power of Elijah is now on Elisha. And the prophets, in case we miss this, tell us, the spirit of Elijah is on Elisha. That's the story. Now, let's look at how we're told in Acts, what, how we're told about the apostles. Where does Jesus call the apostles? Does he, hey, at synagogue, say, I gave this great sermon. Anyone interested in following me? Anyone feel vocation? He goes when they're actually working. These are working stiffs. They're out there doing their job. They're in the middle of repairing nets or just coming in from a hall. And he says, hey, follow me. So they're sort of like Elisha. They represent the Elisha call. You know, they share in Jesus' ministry. So what happens when Jesus leaves? Well, what happens is they emphasize in the first chapter of Acts of the Apostles, they watch him go all the way up. 
This is to remind us, like, wow, that means something. They actually see the whole thing. They see him go all the way up into heaven. And that means they're the true heirs. Now, how will we know this? Two things are going to happen. One is, where's that mantle, the covering of the Holy Spirit? Well, folks, I know this is a, uh, a spoiler alert, but that's what Pentecost will be about. That, the mantle of Jesus will drop on Pentecost next week, saying, you know, this is, he's now at the right hand. He now sends the Holy Spirit. And something else. What happens? What's the first thing Elijah does with that mantle? Elisha does with that mantle. He does the same things that Elijah did. And guess what the whole story of Acts of the Apostles is? They do every miracle Jesus has, with one exception. They don't multiply bread. Why? Because we have the Eucharist, you know, which is the symbol of that. But otherwise, they put all, even raising from that, they do all the things Jesus is saying. Basically, the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is on the Apostles in His church. It's saying He's alive and well. He's working, you know, through His Holy Spirit in His church. So that's what we celebrate. So Christ is continuing to minister. He's alive and well and ministering in his church. The third reason for joy is that we're actually closer to Jesus than we ever were before. How can that be? Well, I want you to think about Jesus' life. Jesus loved the apostles. It said he loved them to the end of the Last Supper. He loved them. He spent three years with these guys. And you know, really, I was an auditor and things, and even on audit teams, you'd really get to the people. You, when, you, when you eat together every meal, you know, this kind of thing, you do that for a long time, you really get to know people. They really become friends in a very special way, a group of people. Okay, so we have those apostles, but they're never really understanding Jesus. They're always he's saying, you little faith, or don't you get it yet? How long? You know, he's forever. There's still some sort of barrier between Jesus on the one side of the table and the apostles. They're physically close, but sometimes it seems like there's a, a, there's a chasm between them as far as understanding. So what he, what's going to happen now is imagine if that chasm could be bridged, that the actual spirit, his actual life of Jesus would be within us. That's what the gift of the Holy Spirit is. That means that the apostles, after the day of Pentecost, were much closer to Jesus than they ever were when he was physically with them. Jesus, there's no misunderstanding now because his spirit, the spirit, they call it, the Acts, it's called the spirit of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of Jesus is in them. There's no misunderstanding now. That distance, that distance across the table is gone. You know, we now are closer to Jesus than we've ever been before. And this is, uh, we're told... Um, Jesus says, for example, the Last Supper, he says, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. If I don't go away, the Helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. He said, the biggest reason, I can't send the Holy Spirit until I return to the Father. And believe me, you want that to happen. It's going to be better than ever. You want that to happen. Now, what actually happens to us is we're told that we're actually, it says, Paul tells us in Romans, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. You are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. We actually become a, a part of the body of Jesus, not just a metaphor. We are actually, Jesus says, why do you persecute me to Saul? We actually become part of the very life of Jesus, part of his body. That's close. He feels our pain. He says, why are you persecuting me, Saul? So if... Uh, that's our third reason. Um, we're closer than ever before. Now, what lessons can we draw for bettering, bettering our Christian life? 
Well, I think some people, let's be honest here. Honesty is it's always right to tell the truth with God. Read the Psalms. Sometimes we feel this is really, really a burden in the Christian life. I don't think I'm making any progress. I mean, I try hard, and I get more discouraged. The harder I try, the more discouraged I get. And I think there's a reason the, the Ascension tells us we don't have to be that way. Here's what the Ascension tells us. We often have the false notion. You know the movie they had years ago called Home Alone? Okay. Some of us have Home Alone theology. It works like this. Jesus came to be with us. That was great. But he had to leave. He had to go somewhere and left us here. But thank God he gave us, literally, he gave us instruction manuals. Like, you know, your parents write down things, say, don't put metal in the microwave. Make sure your brother, you know, doesn't beat up his little brother. You know, this could get him to bed by nine. He had like a list of things, and we just try to follow those, and that was, it's all going to be okay until he gets back. That's not how it works. Jesus is with us now. There's no reason for us to go it alone. As a matter of fact, that's impossible. Jesus, several times in a ministry, when he says something that you just could not do, he says, you're right, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So we're carrying a burden no one can carry. No, Jesus never asked us to. We're saying, I want to do all these things, but I want to do it on my own power. That's like my going to the airport and not buying a ticket and say, well, how are you going to get out? I'm going to run down the runway and fly. Well, that's actually, that's less silly than thinking we can live the Christian life without God. Uh, in, Paul tells us, he said, it's God who's in you both to will and to work. He's the one who makes all things possible. It says in Ezekiel 36, it says, you know, they couldn't keep the commandments. He said, I'm going to put my spirit in you, which will make you keep the commandments. He, get, he empowers us with his presence. He gives us a power to do, for example, how many times do we have someone say, there's no way I can forgive this. I just can't. But God can forgive it. So we just open ourselves to the power of God. You know, Lord, I don't have it, but you do. You always have what I don't have, and you'll always provide it. God always gives us what we need to fulfill his will. No exceptions to that. So we say, so instead of taking discouraging, I could never do that. You're right, you can't. You can't feed 5,000 people, but you can give the five loaves. That's all he asks. He will always make up the difference. We are empowered by God. I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. So, we have here, and so Christ is present in work among us in the church. We said, the spirit of Elijah and Elisha, the spirit of Jesus is working, is present and active in his church. So where do we meet that spirit? Well, first of all, we have, he actually speaks to us through his word. For us, this is not like a list of things not to put in the microwave. This is not an old book. This, the Word of God, remember when the bishop spoke to us uh, the other week, I had a beautiful sermon under the 8.30 service about the, uh, the Bible. Is the, it, if you don't have faith, it's just a dead old book. But it has the power by the Holy Spirit to become the living Word of God to us. God can actually speak to us through His Word. We don't have to imagine what He wants. He can actually speak to us through His words. Okay, we also have... He actually gives us our own life. We don't have to, uh, to make it up. He gives us our life in our baptism. He nourishes that life in Holy Eucharist, our sacraments. And also, he empowers us with his Holy Spirit. He, again, Jesus says, don't worry if you have to suddenly give a testimony. I'll give you the words. Matter of fact, it'll be more effective. I will actually be the one speaking through you. He says, don't worry if you have trouble praying. The Holy Spirit will give you the prayer you need. You know, he'll pray in ways that you could never imagine. 
So the real, we're trying to do something we can't do, the freedom and joy that comes. You know, we say, gee, Jesus said my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know why that's true? It's when we let him carry it. If we insist on doing it ourselves, we're going to be discouraged and fail. But with God, all things are possible. Now, another last thing I'd say there is, so what we have to remember is sometimes we feel that we're responsible for the results. You know, if God wants something done. No, no. We're only responsible for doing what God asks us to do. We're not responsible for the results. My father of blessed memory, uh, one thing I remember he'd tell me when I sort of get feel very self-important about having to do things, he said, first of all, uh, he would say, I'm older than you are, trust me on this, somehow the world got by before you were born. That's valuable information, you know. The world somehow got by before you were born. And then the other thing he says, let God be God. Really, let God do the God. Just do what he asks you to do. Like being a good soldier is, I'm, I don't have to win the battle. I have to simply be a faithful, you know, be faithful in the post God has given me. God wins the battles. And that takes, puts joy in where we're never asked to do anything impossible. We're only asked to give what God gives us. Now, let's conclude here. Is you know, a lot of people like to say, you know what you really need is the right connections. That's really true. I'll tell you a story. I was, at the, I was a treasurer in another church years ago, and we were putting in a parking lot, and suddenly it became a nightmare because what was supposed to be an $80,000 job was now at 125, and it was moving up. There was no stop because we were running into all sorts of permitting issues and the like. And I was a treasurer, and being a business guy, these people were very, very sweet people, but they weren't necessarily business people. And so they were saying, well, let's get a lawyer and things. I said, well, I believe in lawyers. But I said, no, here's a, this is premature. This is not a legal problem. This is a connections problem. Does somebody know someone on the county board? Does anybody actually? <laughs> I said, yes. I said, that's how we go. That's how we'll get, this is how we'll get. And sure enough, that's all of the problem. So we know the connections are really important. Well, boy, I've got to tell you, we have a friend in high places. The story of the Ascension is that Ephesians tell us we have Jesus is at the right hand of God reigning as king. That's a connection. We're told in Hebrews, our great high priest, we have direct access to God. We can walk into the corner office. He said the door's never closed. He's never too busy. You can walk right in. We have those kind of connections. The Apostle Peter tells us that we actually share in Christ's rule and Christ's connections. He tells us that he says, you are a royal priesthood. We share in all the benefits of Christ being a priest. We share in all his benefits, his victory as king. So let's end here and say, on our Ascension Day, what prayer could we make? There are some words of Scripture I would suggest to you as a prayer we could draw from Hebrews 4.16. To make this our prayer. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.